0: I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers?
1: Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup.
0: So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds?
1: Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio.
2: Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.
0: This is Lars. Thanks again for checking out my podcast. Enjoy your day and the show, and let's make America great again. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, you can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it from me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it
2: yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit IRAAdvantage.com view our videos, and call IRA Advantage. That's IRA Advantage dot com.
0: Lars here with a question for
2: you. Why is
0: it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? The answer? They're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits—at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's what you need everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage order your kits right now by going to mypatriotsupply.com your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes listen this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world go to mypatriotsupply.com that's mypatriotsupply.com Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Glad to get your calls, too, at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Now, usually, I don't arrive on most Conspiracy Theory theories Thursdays with a good conspiracy theory of my own. But today it's been supplied for me. I want you to imagine this. Uh, many people seek to run for the state legislature wherever they live here in the Northwest uh, to go to Boise or Olympia or Salem and say, I'd like to represent the people in my district. Now, imagine you run for the state legislature and you lose, but the guy who wins doesn't actually live in the district that he proposes to represent. Uh, Greer T- Trice is the man who lost in this case. Greer, welcome to the program. Hi, Lars. Thanks for having me on. So have I described that the right way that High Pham, who who was your opponent in the race, doesn't actually live in District 36, which he ran to represent?
3: That's true. That's true. Um, We didn't know this during the campaign. We were too busy knocking on doors and putting out flyers and things. Um, But he doesn't. He lives uh, in District 31. And it all came to us by an anonymous letter on uh, October 25th. We went and checked the mail, and there was a letter, a printed business envelope from him to me, someone who printed it that way. We opened it up, and there was a letter saying, uh, I am acquainted with Dr. Pham. And the people were angry with him because they said he, didn't, he claims to take OHP and care for people, but he doesn't actually. And after that one paragraph, they laid out how he doesn't live in the district, which was, and I thought, okay, that's odd. What do I do with this? So I ran it, up, ran it up the chain of command to the Oregon caucus, who said, okay, we'll research this. And uh, on the 26th, they filed a complaint. They found it easily that he doesn't live in the district, but he had registered in his candidate filing. He had filed that he lives in the district on Southwest 81st Avenue and, in Hildebrandt. We're not,
0: we're not going to give his exact address, but your argument no, is no. this guy and his wife and young child, brand newborn child, live outside the district. But to be able to run, he moved in with his mom and dad while his wife and newborn child are living somewhere else.
3: That's what the well. So that's not my contention. That's what what came out of the the uh, the documents. His candidate filing states that, and he registered to vote from this address in Hillsborough. No, we're not giving him his. It's a very long street. Yeah, and um, I don't want to do that anyway. But so. right, we don't. We, do, we don't. That's not what we do. We don't. But, we anyway, don't dox changed, people on
0: this show.
3: Right. So he changed his voter registration on January 26th to that address.
0: Now, is that so, long enough before his candidacy to be able to run for an office? What's the legal requirement?
3: Well, as far as I know, I'm not, I'm not a, an attorney. Uh, I just ran for office. Uh, and the caucus filed the complaint based on two things. First of all, that he doesn't li- reside in the district. And then number two, even if he did move back in with his parents, he didn't establish residency because January 26th is not long enough. I'm not sure whether it's January 1st or a full year, but there, there is a requirement to establish residency. So either way, whichever one is true, he wasn't qualified to run.
0: Well, and in fact, if he updated his (laughs) registration on January 26th, the primary is in May. And when you file right. to run for an office, you file, wh- what's the filing deadline? Isn't it March?
3: Uh, I think it's March, yeah. Okay, I, I, so... I don't know. My, my whole story is I, the person who ran in the primary withdrew, and they asked me in August if I would step in, <laughs> the last of August, and I had just barely a day to file. So I'm quite new in this.
0: But you do live in District 36.
3: I sure do. I live uh, south of Hillsborough in the, the beginning of the rural area.
0: Well, I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm going to invite Dr. Pham to come on and explain, you know, do you actually (laughs) live in the district or do you live with your wife and your newborn child? You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with living with mom and dad if that's really where you live. But do you think there's a reason that the law says if you want to represent a certain district, you have to live in the district?
3: Well, of course, because these are your constituents, these are your neighbors, these are the people you're supposed to represent.
0: And if you live yes. somebody else, somewhere else, I have made the argument for a long time that Senator Ron Wyden, who won re-election, even though he lives in New York City, he has three small children, right. he has a wife, <laughs> she is registered to vote in New York State, her kids, uh, their kids, go to school in New York State. They're they're not estranged, they're not divorced. He lives with his family, and he lives three thousand right. miles away from the state that he purportedly represents. And I've objected to that over and over again. Now, the Washington County Republican Party has gone to bat for you on this. Do they tell you there's any path for disqualifying the guy who now is said to have won and represents District 36, Dr. Highfam?
3: Well, we're, we're not really sure. At, at the county level, we don't have the resources of you know, in-house counsel and things. But the key is that they should be able to, at the Secretary of State, if they simply do their job, they will look and say, "Oh, this was a mistake. He is not qualified. Disqualify him." I don't know. I do not know what uh, the Oregon statute says is the path after that.
0: Yeah, because at that point, if they disqualify him, it doesn't necessarily mean that it goes to the second place finisher, does it? Right.
3: No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, we don't see any path. I mean, how does that work? It's, this is not a soccer game. We're not just dis- forfeiting or something that would Although, have had to happen before the election.
0: Do you know who would end up appointing if, if a seat were vacated for whatever reason? is it the county commission that appoints the replacement or is, Possibly. Or is it somebody I, down as, the as
3: i said Lars, i'm not an attorney i'm not that familiar with these statutes in fact i never dreamt that i would be dealing with this um but it, it may be the county commission I, I couldn't tell you i couldn't tell well, you for
0: sure i gotta tell you something i i think it's highly dishonest um i mean we've run into cases like this before where somebody fibs about where they're actually where they actually live and I'd, I'd be anxious to hear what Doctor Fam has to say. I mean, if he said my wife and I are on the outs, and so I'm living with mom and dad, so I actually live there. But even then, he's only registered in the district. At the latter part of right. January, he would have filed for the office less than 90 days later. Uh, I don't know if that's enough time to actually establish that you live in a district. If you and and if he's not, uh, you know, estranged from his wife. Um, and he says, okay, I'm going to represent District 36, but I'm going to live with my family in District 31, that's dishonest, right. is, isn't it? It is. is It is dishonest.
3: And you know, all we want is equal application of the law. If this, Lars, if this were you and I, if you had the Lars Larson pack and you made an incorrect oh, filing, yeah. <laughs> the, the Secretary of State would come down on you like a pallet full of bricks. Sure they would.
0: True. You know, yeah, I've never been bit so, by the bug. I, uh, in fact, I get people all the time asking me if I want to run. I, I take it as a compliment, but no, I've never had the interest. But I want people right. to, li- if there's a residency, re- there are very few offices that don't have a residency requirement. There are a few, uh, right. you know, d- district attorney is one of them. But, but for mo- for the most part, you want the people who represent you to actually live where you live because they have some sense of what the issues are there. If they live hundreds or thousands or even dozens of miles away, they may not have any appreciation at all. Greer Trice is the man who came in second in the race for Oregon's House District 36. He says the guy who won, Dr. High Pham, who we will call and offer a chance to tell his side of the story, he doesn't live in the district. Or at least that's what we're led to believe. Uh, we'll offer him that opportunity. If he turns it down, I'll understand that as well. Back in a moment, I want to tell you about a solution somebody suggested to the tsunami of retail theft we've been watching in the Northwest. That's next. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-Hey Lars. That's 866-439-5277. You know, there's been a lot of talk on the show in the last couple of days. Because there has been a tsunami of retail theft. And it's not just theft. It's not just shoplifting. I say just shoplifting. I'm not trying to minimize that. But at least it's not the kind of incidents that actually take people's lives. Because occasionally that happens as well. And people get hurt when there are robberies. Now I'm talking about people who walk into a place, load up a bunch of merchandise, and just walk out the door. Because they know a couple of things. They know, number one, when they walk out the door, most of the staff of retail stores, no matter where you are these days in America, are, are, have been told by management, don't even try to get in the way. Don't try to stop them. Get a description and tell the police. Of course, they know to a fair certainty when they tell the police that uh, the police are going to say, yeah, thanks for the description. Uh, you know they're not likely to catch up with these people. And even if they do, what's going to happen? The problem has become so bad that, uh, one of the biggest retailers, if not the biggest retailer on earth, Walmart says it is going to be for this came from the CEO of the company. They said theft has become such a major problem in some locations that we will be forced to close our stores in high theft areas. And then of course, you're going to hear from a bunch of people saying, well, you know, where are we supposed to get groceries and where are we going to buy the things we need? Well, If your neighborhood ruins that, I don't know what to tell you. But it reminded me of two things. And I got an email from a young lady who had, I thought, a fantastic idea for solving this. And it's well within the capability of every store. It doesn't require any fancy technology or anything like that. It also reminded me of the one trip I took to Russia about 30 years ago. I was with a TV crew. We were following a charity mission from, uh, 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 it's called uh, Medical Teams International. And what they do is they they take donations from America to other countries that are short of medical gear and medicines and things like that. And I'll get to that in a moment. But this has become such a major problem. You hear about it from most of the legal, law abiding people who see folks walking out of stores loaded up with merchandise. And they know two things one, theft is wrong. And they know, number two, everything that gets stolen, the value of it, is going to be added on to a cost of everything they buy from the store the stores fear that if they try to stop the thieves they're going to be sued and security guards know that they could get hurt so even if the store says to its security guard tackle those people they could get hurt the bad guy could get hurt and then you could have the really crazy situation that the bad guy could actually bring a lawsuit and say why I got hurt by your security guard you owe me millions and even if the police respond to make an arrest the thieves know the cash limits on what prosecutors will prosecute, and they tend to stay below them. You'll see people walk in with a, a garbage bag, a plastic garbage bag, and loaded up with cosmetics or other high-dollar value, uh, high-value items. And they know if they stay below $900 or stay below a certain dollar amount, they can walk right out the door, and nothing much is going to happen. And if other customers try to stop the thieves, well, of course, you've got the same dangers—the risk of injury or death. The whole system has now been engineered in favor of the criminals, and as the lawlessness grows to literally billions of dollars for Walmart, billions of dollars every year, I'm not exaggerating, that's what they say, more criminals get inspired. Hey, let's go steal some stuff. There's no consequence. So I got this note from Angie. Uh, and spurred an idea with her. She said, when I was a teenager, I worked at a grocery and mixed merchant in Ketchikan, Alaska. We served all the various fishing fleets, but also the general public. Retail theft was getting pretty bad. And for a small merchant, it's an impossible cost. So we implemented strict policies. And here's what we did. Everything in the store down to a single chapstick was locked up either with an individual lock or in a locked case behind bulletproof plexiglass. We had a full inventory catalog set up and Sharpie erasable boxes right next to them. Most items were priced, but some were flexible. This was given to every customer to select their shopping list, no exceptions. We had to have several new clerks specifically to go pull and pack up the customer's list every customer had to pay for their order before it came out of the store or to the people standing in a queue outside the store. Only the preferred, prior, or trusted customers were even allowed in the store to take their list around and shop based on visuals, and they still couldn't pull their own merchandise. Even if you wanted a single soda, you paid for it first, and then you got in the order queue and we brought it out to you. The cost for everything in the store went up to cover the new costs, The business model solved all of our problems the very first year. The fishermen loved it. They'd have $2,000 orders filled out. When they hit the docks, they'd drop it off. We'd pull up. They'd swing by in the truck, pick up the tab, pay the tab, and we'd bring out 40 boxes of groceries. She said, I think this model is what retailers in high-risk areas are going to have to move to if they want to sell there. Signed, Angie Myers. Now, here's what happened when I went to Russia. And let me compare it to something here in America it used to be it isn't the true is in the case in most places in america anymore you would drive up to a gas station you'd get the nozzle out and fill the tank of your car and it would come up to a dollar amount and you'd walk in and say i owe you 22 dollars for gasoline and you'd pay the 22 dollars. you know that in almost every place in america today you can't do that anymore you have to pay up front either put a card in the gas pump or walk inside and say i want twenty dollars on pump five when I went to Russia, you know, following this charity mission, uh, I was with a TV crew who were making a documentary uh, about, about what they were doing. And what we found was the same kind of thing, except even more so. If, at the end of the week when we were in uh, Khabarovsk, which is in the Soviet Far East, it's in Siberia, and we were there in January, it was cold, and uh, we decided to take our, our uh, hosts to a dinner. and there weren't very many restaurants, but we took them to a nice restaurant, and we walked in, and they'd already told me what the drill was going to be. The waitress comes up, takes your order. You pay for the entire order for dinner first. Then they go off and cook the food. Uh, you don't. There's no dine and dash. The second thing we saw, we wanted to tour some local grocery stores in Khabarovsk, again, in the Soviet Far East, just a little bit north of China. You'd walk into a grocery store and you'd see almost nothing on the shelves. You say, what's going on here? They say, you make a list of the things you want that the store sells. Then you pay for that list, and then they go get it for you. They didn't trust, uh, trust Dine and Dash or, I guess, Grocery Shop and Dash either. And I think that may be where America is headed. Now, you wonder, how's that going to work in a giant grocery store? I don't know. You know, m- maybe it won't work, uh, but, but I don't think it's going to work. If you have stores that are operating on tiny margins. Walmart tends to go on a margin of about three percent. That means if you spend thousand dollars in one of their stores, and I've got no dog in the fight with Walmart, I don't own stock in the company or anything like that, um, you spend a thousand bucks, Walmart makes thirty dollars. That's the margin they're operating on. So if somebody walks in and steals fifty dollars worth of stuff, you just wiped out the entire profit from every from one entire customer even a customer customer spending a thousand dollars so i have a feeling that's where it's going to go and restaurants may have to go there as well i mean i wouldn't be a bit surprised if you saw that same kind of thing And you say, well that's crazy is it ask yourself what happens when you drive up to or walk into a fast food store right now you say i want a hamburger fries and a coat say great pay for it you know what do you mean pay for it bring me the hamburger fries and a coat no you pay for it first Then we bring you the food. Then we even make the food. I think it's where America is happening. It's a sad statement on the affairs of society right now. In any case, glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll at show. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. I woke up this morning, and the first news I saw was about the prisoner swap where uh, Joe Biden engineered a swap where the United States freed one of the most evil arms dealers on the planet. At one point, he was considered the second most wanted man on the planet. He owned a fleet of airplanes. Uh He he trafficked arms worth millions of dollars to every corner of the planet. And some of those arms he knew he was convicted of knowing were going to be used to try to kill Americans. And what did we get in return for freeing this Russian? We got Brittany Griner the WNBA star. And I thought we'd talk to uh, Michael Bernstam about that, who's a research fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. And he's got expertise in both international economics and the former Soviet Union. Michael, welcome back to the program.
4: Oh, thank you, Lars. Was this a good deal? It's a, it was a necessary deal. Uh, both countries got what they wanted. But look at the symbolic value of it. Uh, a basketball star... Represents the United States An arms dealer A merchant of death Represents Russia Two pictures Two civilizations What's valuable for the United States and what's valuable for Russia? Someone who was connected with Al-Qaeda, someone who traded in blood diamonds to finance and to weaponize civil wars and uh, murder in Africa, someone whose uh, arms are in blood up to his shoulders. And here we have a nice young lady. Yes, it was an unequal exchange in terms of uh, political consequences, military consequences. But for the two civilizations, the contrast cannot be greater. I guess
0: when you say each country got what it wanted, I read it as Joe Biden got what he wanted because Brittany Greiner had no special significance. She was a citizen, yes she went to another country. Yes, she broke that country's laws, which, by the way, are still the federal laws of the United States. Pot and hash are illegal. So she breaks the laws of a country, and then she says, hey, you got to bail me out and get me out of here because I broke the law, but I don't want to be held accountable for breaking the law. And the United States says, fine, we'll trade a high value uh, target um, somebody who was supposed to spend a minimum of 25 years in prison for actions that likely took the lives of American citizens. And we're going to trade for a knucklehead who decided to go to another country and then not follow the laws of that other country. Um, but it had political significance for Joe Biden because Brittany Griner is female. She's gay. She's married to another woman. Uh, gay marriage is a big deal for the white house these days. Um, and, and so uh, you say, okay, well, it had great political value to Joe Biden. It sounds to me like the kind of thing that's going to put Americans at risk because this communicates to Russia, you know, if you're holding Americans, whether it's on legitimate charges or not, I don't think Paul Whelan is being held on legitimate charges. I do think Brittany Griner was being held for, you know, l- legitimately breaking the laws of Russia. Whether you agree with the laws or not, the federal law in the United States is the same. This stuff's illegal. She breaks the laws and we say, oh, but you're worth trading a major arms dealer who was supposed to spend 25 years in prison. He spent 10 years in prison. Now he's going back to Russia.
4: It's a valid argument. But again, look uh, what's important that in this country there was a great deal of pressure from the public not from politicians only, but from the public to release this young lady. It was a grassroots movement, minorities, uh, fans, uh, people uh, of all walks of life. For in Russia, it's not a free country. There was no pressure from the public, but there was a pressure from this kind of people who are trading arms, who are dealing with intelligence, and it was very important For the president of Russia to make this exchange, to tell all his spies around the world, to tell all his arms dealers around the world that, look, I have your back. So this is, again, a picture of two different countries, of two different civilizations. But there is another point to it, that this merchant of death, he was not alone. The guy was trading in service to air missiles. Where do we get it? He didn't buy them at the market. He got them from the Russian military
0: and then sold them to people who intended to kill Americans so he was Absolutely. both making a lot of money for them. himself yeah. but wasn't he, wasn't he also advancing Russia's interests at
4: the same time Or he was just a government agent. He was advancing Russian interests. He was a frontman as a private entrepreneur, ostensibly a frontman for the military who wanted behind the private enterprise to sell weapons to all enemies of the United States. So that's why they wanted him back.
0: And now they've got their salesmen back. Let me ask you about this. I'm talking to Michael Bernstam, who's a research fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford with expertise in the former Soviet Union and Russian politics. Does this put uh, Americans who travel at risk now that the Russians know if we grab an American, whether it's for legitimate reasons or not, we may be able to trade them for things of value? Absolutely,
4: but this is nothing new. It's not because of this particular exchange. They've always done it. Each time we arrested... Soviet spies or Russian spies. Each time we arrested some uh, arms dealers or whatnot, They grabbed anyone, just uh, a random person who uh, landed uh, in the Moscow or some other uh, Russian airport. That's why we have to be very careful uh, uh, to our uh, friends to tell them not to go there. It's dangerous. They have uh, they have the target on their on their back.
0: Well, and the additional problem is it's an unequal relationship. To my knowledge, and Michael, I'm proud of my own country, I'm not aware that I can think of a single example where the United States said, let's grab somebody, we'll put them on trumped-up charges and trade them for something of value. We don't do that. At least I can't think of any examples where we have. But Russia can, and as you say,
4: does. Or they've done it all the time. They've been doing it for years. And this is, again, a contrast of two different civilizations. I regret that apart from your show, our major cable networks, uh, television, and uh, you just wouldn't show the difference between the two civilizations, between the two countries, between the two mindsets, between the two people.
0: I guess when I hear people singing the sad song about Brittany Griner, Michael, I think about this. If she had flown on an American airline inside the United States and had been caught getting off a plane or getting on a plane or off a plane as her luggage was screened and they had found hashish oil, you know, it's legal in some states. It's not legal federally, and it's not legal to take it across state boundaries. I mean, in some way, she wouldn't have got nine years of hard labor in a, in a gulag, but there still would have been legal consequences. So when I hear people say, well, her their laws are wrong, or she's being held on trumped-up charges, I, no, th- no, she's not. She, she's being held on a law that, while the punishment is worse in Russia, the law is virtually the same in the United States. The stuff she had was illegal.
4: Well, we are talking about a humanitarian issue at this point. Uh, 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 there, are, there are all sorts of legal issues you can discuss, and of course the case of Paul Whelan is also important. And there are several other hostages there, and they grab hostages. But again, it is a case that they grab a civilian, as someone who has nothing to do with arms dealing, with military, with intelligence, with spying, with anything. And we, are, and we had this man who was responsible for murdering tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people in Africa and around the world and endangering world peace.
0: It's not an equal. In fact, it reminds me a lot of the Bo Bergdahl situation. Michael, thanks so much. And if I don't talk to you before then, have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you, sir. That's Michael Bernstam. Michael is at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University, a research fellow, uh, expertise in international economics and in the former Soviet Union. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your calls then. At 866-HEY-LARS, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network.
5: I think Dr. Fauci actually made one of the worst judgments in modern medical history by funding for over a decade, funding dangerous gain-of-function research.
0: That is Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, and this is the Lars Larson Show. Pleasure to be with you. Glad to get to your phone calls and emails. Yeah, we've had some computer issues, and they're being solved right now. But welcome back to the program. If you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can answer our Twitter poll. Every day we, answer, we ask a different question today's is based on this cockamamie deal in which a one of the worst uh, arms traffickers in the world, no exaggeration, Victor Boot, has now been released back to Russia. He's a guy who was sent to prison in the United States for conspiring to cause the deaths of American citizens. He was sentenced to 25 years in prison. He has served about 10 of that. So he's getting out before even the halfway point. And why? So Joe Biden can bring back Brittany Griner. And why is that so important? I mean, there's another American, Paul Whelan, who's still stuck in the Soviet Union. But uh, the question we've asked is, does the prisoner swap with Putin put all traveling Americans at greater risk? I would say yes to that. The Russians have done this for some time. Grab on to a Western citizen, in this case, an American. And in this case, I want you to listen closely to how the media covers this because they'll say, well, you know, Britney was being held on false charges in Russia. Actually, she wasn't. It's illegal to possess hashish oil in Russia. Did she have hash oil, a vape pen and hash oil? Yes, she did. Does she admit that she had it? Yes, she did. Did she bring it into Russia? Yes. When did she get caught? As she was exiting Russia, she packed this illegal contraband in her luggage and when she was screened at the airport in russia she was caught and you say well that's just wrong hash and marijuana shouldn't be illegal well the fact is it still is in russia and you know what here you've got the white house saying was unfair to hold her on illegal on charges involving uh marijuana or hashish well gee joe biden what are the laws in your country well let's see the federal laws still say that hash and marijuana are still illegal in our country so now all we're arguing about is was the punishment of brittany griner too great because she was sentenced to nine years of hard labor and a gulag was that right no but i remind people the ugliest thing that americans do and i'm proud of my country and i'm proud of most of the people who are citizens of this country But if you go to somebody else's country and you just make the assumption that whatever's legal at home is legal here. If I've got First Amendment rights at home, I got First Amendment rights here. If I've got Second Amendment rights and I can own and carry a gun, well, I can do that anywhere in the world because somehow your American privilege travels with you. No, it doesn't. Do you know what Brittany Griner's special privilege was? She is a celebrity. She is female. She is black. She is gay. She's married to another woman, and gay marriage is a big deal for the White House right now. In fact, Joe Biden wants to sign a law that says we're going to codify gay marriage into the law. So she's politically, you know, a a truckload of advantages for Biden. Is she terribly significant in any other way? She plays basketball. Good for her. Victor Boot is a guy who is arranging for the sale of missiles to foreign countries that were used to kill a lot of people and to kill americans that's what he was convicted of that's what he was sentenced to 25 years in prison for not hard labor Although if I had my druthers, I might take people like him and put him at hard labor. In any case, does the prisoner swap with Putin make all traveling Americans at greater risk to benefit Joe Biden? I would say yes. Today's Twitter poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, I want to go back to another soundbite from Rand Paul talking about Anthony Fauci. This guy who's about to retire on the first of the year, he's going to retire on the largest federal pension in American history. And as Rand Paul points out, he's a, he's a longtime liar. Listen to this. But he should start telling the truth. He's been lying from the beginning saying he did not fund gain-of-function
5: research when I guarantee you can bring 20 prominent scientists on your program and every one of them will say that the research he was funding was indeed gain-of-function.
0: Now, that's Rand Paul talking to Fox. He also had a couple of comments about the Brittany Griner situation. Listen to where he talks about the other man who was not brought home. Uh, Paul Whelan has been sitting in Russia for four years. He's accused of spying. And even Senator Rand Paul doesn't, that charge is not legitimate. The charge against Brittany Greiner, she broke the law and she admitted she broke the law. Paul Whelan, not so much. Listen to this. I think
5: also Russia needs to realize that the other gentleman's being kept on trumped-up spy charges... What that means is, particularly if he wasn't a spy, which I don't have any evidence that he was, and if he was a tourist, if Russia doesn't want Americans to visit Russia, we have a huge tourist trade. America takes our dollars all around the world. And if Russia doesn't want Americans to visit and they're going to arrest Americans, this hurts Russia. So Russia needs to reconsider this. And unless I'm presented with evidence otherwise, I don't have any evidence to believe uh,
0: that the young man was anything other than a tourist. Now, he also commented about the comparison between Griner and Whelan. Listen to that.
5: You look at this swap and you wonder what message this is going to send to our adversaries.
0: Yeah. Um. Uh, definitely, you know, uh,
5: having a celebrity being equivalent to a killer or an arms merchant, you know, it's easy to see that this doesn't seem like a fair trade. But it's also hard not to rejoice in the freedom of an American who is unfairly charged as well. So I know diff- it's difficult in making uh, negotiations like this, but uh, you would have thought that somebody that was a good negotiator should have had the other gentleman re- released as well.
2: Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that Whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com welcome back to the lars larson show
0: it's a pleasure to be with you and i'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails at 866 hey lars and welcome to the radio northwest network proudly serving the pacific northwest states of oregon washington and idaho for about the last well january 1 it'll be 23 years and we intend to do it for at least another 23 years our twitter poll today does the prisoner swap with vladimir putin the one where The United States gives up one of the worst arms traffickers in the world, a man who plotted to sell weapons and did sell weapons, a lot of them, uh, that were used to kill Americans uh, and kill a lot of other people as well. Americans first, uh, and he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. In fact, at the time, it was during uh, Barack Obama's presidency, Eric Holder, the attorney general, bragged why, this man is getting, he's getting the book thrown at him. He's going to go to prison for the rest of his life. No, turns out not. He served less than half of the time in prison. He was sentenced about uh, 10 years ago or so. He was supposed to do 25. Now he's going free. And why? So Joe Biden can brag about the fact that he got Brittany Griner out of Russia. And what I also find, and I've told you that I think this is really highly dishonest to say why she's being held on trumped up charges in Russia. no, no pun intended there with Trump. Um, no, she's not. It's illegal to have pot or hash in Russia. She had pot or, or hash hashish oil in Russia. She admitted that she broke their laws. She apparently thought as an elite women's basketball player, a celebrity, Uh, somebody who's gay and married to another woman, and that's a big deal for the White House, that that, I guess, makes you immune to having to follow the law. And ironically enough, when I hear Americans say, well, you know, Russia was holding her on these crazy marijuana laws. Well, I got news for you. It is also illegal under America's federal laws to possess the things that Brittany Griner possessed in Russia. Now, what some people object to is in America, possession of pot or hash, is not going to get you sent to prison. In Russia, they treat it differently. Uh, They were ready to send her to hard labor in a gulag for about nine years. So really what people are objecting to, I mean, they can't very well, if they want to object to it and say it's wrong for that stuff to be illegal in Russia. Oh, well, is it wrong for it to be illegal in America? Americans can say, yeah, it shouldn't be illegal here. Fine. Tell your member of Congress. Right now, there isn't nearly the support to be able to pass the legalization of pot or hash uh, through the U.S. Congress. Uh, The latest numbers I had seen, and they are a couple of years, just a couple of years old, uh, say there may be 168 uh, members of Congress. And we have had some changes. So maybe in January it'll be different. But within the last couple of years, 168 members of the House of Representatives who would vote for marijuana legalization. That is 50 votes short of being able to pass the bill that would legalize pot at the federal level. Now, if you say, well, Russia's wrong to make that illegal, America makes it illegal. Yeah, but Russia puts you at hard labor for nine years. And in America, you got a slap on the wrist, you pay a fine, and you got a mark on your record. That's about the extent of it. In any case, our Twitter poll can be found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. The real question for me is, does this prisoner swap where Putin gets a valuable military asset, the merchant of death, the biggest, uh, one of the biggest arms dealers on the planet who illegally trafficked in things like anti-aircraft weapons to folks who had planned to kill Americans, does that kind of prisoner swap, uh, you know, this Victor Boot? for Brittany Griner, put all traveling Americans at greater risk. I know you could say, well, they're at risk already. I mean, Russia could grab you. Yes. Does this put them at greater risk? Because Russia and Putin in particular, they've got Biden's number right now. They say, we grab some Americans, we can trade for some valuable stuff. And they don't even have to be that valuable Americans. They don't even have to be held illicitly. And on top of that, I could probably ask you this question. Paul Whalen is the other American who's being held by Russia. He's being held on spying charges. And there's no indication whatsoever that he's actually guilty of being a spy. Should he have been released, too? Yeah, but you see, the Biden White House doesn't really give a damn about Paul Whalen. Paul Whalen is a straight white guy. Why do they care about him? Brittany Griner is gay, a celebrity. She's a, a person of color, and she's female. All the check boxes that the White House could ever want. You can find today's Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now, I want to give you one reminder of something I promised to mention once a day until this gets fixed. So I'll try to make this as new as I can. You know who Sam Bankman Freed is? Fried is the MIT graduate who created a company called FTX. FTX was a cryptocurrency exchange. This guy spent a ton of money on himself. He, at one point, his company was valued in January of this year at $32 billion. It turns out, well, we'll have to wait until the full investigation is done, if it's ever done, that it worked more like a Ponzi scheme. He raised money from one group of investors, promised that he would not move their money around, and then he borrowed their money, or people at FTX borrowed the money. He was the CEO of the company, and they moved it to another company where it was involved in risky trading. That was not what the investors were promised. Now, there are some very wealthy investors. I'm not not invested in FTX at all, so I don't have a dog in the fight. But uh, the New York Post yesterday had a story about Jeffrey Harvey, who lives in Los Angeles, works in the hospitality business, means meaning he works at a hotel or a restaurant, and he's putting himself through college. He had $5,000 in FTX. He now has zero. But what I want to tell you is one of the things that both Sam Bankman-Fried and other executives of FTX did was they gave massive sums of money to the Democrat Party and to Democrat candidates. Now. Bankman Freed himself became the second biggest donor to the Democrat Party at about $40 million. One of his executives gave half a million dollars to the Democrat Party of Oregon. Now, some of the Democrats who got money, like Beto O'Rourke down in Texas, they gave the money back about a month ago. They realized that this was ill-gotten gains, and they said, I'm returning the money and that money will probably end up with the people who are caught up in this giant bankruptcy of FTX. The Democrat Party of Oregon is hanging on to the money it got from FTX, half a million dollars, $500,000, that if it's returned to the bankruptcy receiver, some of that will end up with people like this Jeffrey Harvey, some of it. Maybe they'll get 10 cents on the dollar. Whatever it is, if you received money, from ftx and you realize now that it's ill-gotten gains and you are the democrat party of oregon should you return it so far they've shown no sign they're going to return it should tina Kotek, the democrat governor-elect of oregon should she tell her party we got to give this money back this just ain't right well she hasn't done that either and don't let them try the dodge of giving it to a charity giving it to a charity doesn't help out the people who got ripped off by ftx giving it back to the bankruptcy, does have the potential to do that. Glad to be with you on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Coming up, in Seattle, how can a legal system see attacks on paramedics and firefighters and then refuse to prosecute? And we'll get to your phone calls and emails, too. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll if you care to. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Almost every week, I see some announcement of some government in America, state government, city government, county government, federal government, announcing a brand new project to save the Earth's climate from all the bad things that the you know global warming true believers believe are going to happen. Uh, Todd Myers has brought my attention to one of them. It ha- happens to be the city where I live, which is the city of Vancouver, and they're spending a lot of money on climate projects, and I want Todd to describe for you what these are and what they're likely to do in the way of good. Todd, welcome back.
6: Yeah, thank you for having me on. And, and yeah, a lot of these projects are local politicians who really are unlikely to have any impact on the goals that they say, reducing CO2 emissions and things like that, but want to signal to the public that they care. So they waste a huge amount of money, millions of dollars in the case of Vancouver, uh, on things that are very unlikely to help the environment. And that was what frustrated me is, is that this money could be used for important things, either to help the environment or other, uh, other things to support businesses or cut taxes. But instead, it is essentially being wasted so that politicians can show uh, that they care about climate change.
0: But they're making a promise, and you and I have talked before about the promises made by entities like uh, the state of Washington, uh, Seattle, King County. This one is where the Vancouver City Council and the headline in the local fish wrapper, climate plan to drastically cut greenhouse gas emissions by 2040, you know, 17, soon to be 17 years from now. Uh, It's always handy when you can make promises that are going to happen almost in the better part of two decades from now, because it's unlikely that somebody's going to track it out that far. But that's the promise. And you point out they're promising an 83 percent reduction in carbon output.
6: Yeah, and, and because cities are small, it's very hard to control it. The biggest parts of CO2 emissions are either you know, cross-city lines or other things like that, or even worse, you want CO2-emitting businesses in your city because what you could do is you could just drive them all out of the city uh, to Portland or elsewhere, but then continue to buy those products. What happens is, is that CO2 still exists, but now it's not on your ledger. So it actually can be economically destructive for no environmental benefit just because of the way cities play the games with accounting. But even meeting the goals, as you point out, is often uh, – it doesn't work out. It's, nobody's held accountable. We went through this in the 2000s and 2005 cities across the state, including Vancouver, signed a pledge to meet the Kyoto targets in 2012. And so when 2012 rolled around, I actually called all of those cities and say and said, did you meet the targets? And two thirds of the cities said we don't know what you're talking about, what target. <laughs> so it, it was all about the publicity and the show in um, signing it. It was not actually about meeting the goals. And I can guarantee that in 2040, they may actually remember that they've met this target, but whether they meet it or not, nobody is going to be held accountable if they do or they don't. And it is, it's just a false promise.
0: Well, one of the promises, and, and I, I don't know if you know this piece of background or not, but it says policymakers project, that Vancouver will reduce 73% of its community and municipal emissions by 2030. And I thought, okay, municipal, I get that. That's government. So I assume that means city government. So maybe they'll drive electric pickup trucks instead of gasoline or diesel pickup trucks. But 73% of community emissions, is that making the promise that they're going to reduce the amount of CO2 emissions by all the private use, private vehicles, Private home heat, private business heat, um, and and private business manufacturing. Are they promising 73% reduction by the private sector as well? And how's that going to happen?
6: That is exactly what they're promising, and it is unattainable because they don't control all of the things that would be necessary to make those goals, whether they're sincere goals or not, and I doubt that they are, but even if they are, they simply don't control all of the things that are necessary to meet it. And as I said, it ends up with some ridiculous consequences, where you end up reducing CO2 emissions in Vancouver so that it appears like you're meeting your goal, but... You send manufacturing, you send business, you send drivers, you send other folks outside of the city, in some cases actually increasing total worldwide CO2 emissions, but making yourself look clean. And that is counterproductive. And this is why I think so many political approaches end up doing more harm than good to the environment I, guess I tell conservatives all the time and on your show that we need to be more confident in our positions on the environment because many of the things that the environmental left do sound good but end up doing more harm than good. It's our solutions that actually work. Whether you're concerned about climate change or not, the things that we do make the world cleaner, do more with less, are more efficient, which helps the planet in so many different ways.
0: Well, and like you said, it's it, it, in effect. It's offshoring, uh, and not literally offshoring, Correct. but just pushing the. Pro- so, if you say we're going sure, to require, some cases, literally, yes, yeah, in some cases, literally. But I mean, imagine, folks, if if I wanted to say that I was a teetotaler, I'm not. I, you know, if I have a dr- an adult beverage, I I drink in moderation. But if I told Todd why. I haven't bought a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of wine or a bottle of beer in ten years. You know, no, that's because your wife does the grocery shopping and she, yeah. she doesn't. But uh, you know, if I said that, I could say, well, I haven't bought a bottle of any kind of alcoholic beverage in the last ten years. You know, well, well, but you still drink occasionally and you know, have a have a, a, a beverage. Go, oh, yeah, but somebody else buys it or they buy it for me. Right. And, and I go, well, you're just you're lying. And and when they say. We're going to say electrify. We're going to require all new construction to be electric heat. I'm already seeing, Todd, coupled with all these pushes to, say, get rid of natural gas. I'm seeing right now, since we're, in, you know, well into fall, on the verge of winter, I'm seeing all these appeals saying people are having a tough time with their utility bills. And I want to scream too damn bad because you elected these knotheads who decided to tell you we've got to make all, your elect- all, all of your energy more expensive and you still have to heat your house. It's going to cost a whole lot more. We told you that was going to happen. And now you're trying to appeal to say, can you help us help these people pay their bills and go, how about we just let them use the kind of fuel that will efficiently heat their home or their water or whatever?
6: Yeah, and I think what the insult to injury is, is not only they, some people are willing to pay more to help the environment. Not, I mean, some people simply can't because they don't have the resources. But some people are, but the insult to injury with a lot of what Vancouver and other cities are doing is that they're paying more, but they're not getting anything for it. And I think that's the real problem. And then the last thing is, Washington state already has laws that are, that we are required to reduce CO2 emissions. What Vancouver is doing is simply duplicative of all those existing laws. So even if they were effective, they would simply be doing what the state is doing already, again, paying more but not getting any more.
0: Isn't that crazy? That that you say, we're going to make some promises, but the promises are things we're already required to do. Oh, Okay, so all you're trying to do is look good. That's Todd Myers from the Washington Policy Center. Todd, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Glad to get your calls in a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. This segment of the show brought to you by Nick Shivers. For an instant offer to sell your home immediately, go to NickShivers.com. Coming up in a moment after this last election, is vote by mail bad for America's election system? We'll get to that next. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I've pointed out to you for years that when the last presidential commission looked at the question of voting in America, and it, was, uh, it included people like Jimmy Carter, uh, the former president from Georgia, uh, that even Carter concluded that vote-by-mail was a tremendous opportunity for fraud in American elections. Now, he drew that conclusion some time ago, but I don't think anything has changed. After this last election, I thought I'd put the question to Hans von Spakowski, our friend, the senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and a man who's focused on elections, election law, and how not to run an election, also election fraud because he maintains a website at Heritage that details the more than 1,000 cases of election fraud. So when you hear people say, oh, there's not very much in America, uh, you'd be proven wrong by the facts on the ground. Hans, welcome back to the program.
7: Lars, thanks for having me back. And by the way, we're actually about to break uh, over 1,400 Proven cases Ugh. of fraud from across the country. As soon as we add in uh, another half dozen cases,
0: and they're uh, they're bipartisan, right? We've got both Republicans and oh, Democrats yeah. who've engaged in election fraud. Is there any pattern there at all?
7: No, it is bipartisan. But uh, the other thing that people should realize is that it's not always one party stealing from another party. We 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 have cases where uh, we have voter fraud going on in primary elections, too. So it's folks within the same party stealing from each other.
0: So and, and I mean, bizarre cases like even the one brought in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania, where the AG in Pennsylvania said, we're going to charge this guy. And it, and it didn't involve voting specifically, it involved getting signatures on petitions. Apparently, it became a right. cottage industry for him. Get a bunch of people in a hotel room, have them all sign a bunch of names that are all fake names and get enough signatures on a petition to be able to qualify a candidate to be uh, to be on the ballot. Uh, You know, for a lot of these people, they may just look at it as a cottage industry. They they could be almost like Fusion GPS. You want dirt dug? We'll dig it on anybody you want to dig on. Doesn't matter what their party is. You want signatures on a petition? Don't care what your party is. We'll get the signatures for you. It's it's more of that kind of approach, right?
7: No, it is. But but look, the the amount of fraud in our database—if you look at it, there's all all different kinds of fraud, but. There are a lot of cases involving absentee ballots, and that's because, you know, they're the only kind of ballot that is uh, voted outside the supervision of election officials and outside the observation of poll watchers, and uh, they're easier to steal, to to forge, to alter. And so, you know, they're they're the tool of choice of vote thieves. That's what the uh, Florida... Uh, Department of Law Enforcement said in a report some years ago when they were looking at a series of absentee ballot fraud cases that had occurred in Florida.
0: And yet the trend across the country te- tends to be, it seems to me, in the direction of more and more vote by mail or even complete vote by mail. I live in a in an all vote by mail state, uh, Washington. But is there any place that says this is a bad idea it's it's fraught with opportunities for fraud and we ought to go back to more more uh, uh i get not comprehensive but solid ways of voting where there is some supervision or or is everybody just going with the program
7: no everybody is not moving that way um uh you know yeah or oregon simply mails out a ballot to every single registered voter uh in the state um But in in the vast majority of states, uh, you've got to actually send in a request for an absentee ballot. And many states, uh, it's fewer and fewer, but actually I think the trend may reverse. Uh, A number of states still require an excuse. You have to have an excuse to use an absentee ballot. Uh, and, And what folks are doing, election officials and others are doing now, is they're encouraging people to vote early in person, not using an absentee ballot, because that's that's a more secure way of voting. Look, the other problem with absentee or mail-in ballots is that they have a tendency to destroy the secrecy of the ballot. Um, I was actually talking to somebody today who was telling me about how they had a ballot uh, fill-in party at her employer's office, if you can wow. believe that. and The employer was giving some people a hard time about who they were voting for. And that, of course, is a problem with that. Plus, you know, the standard thing I ask folks, because remember, the vast majority of these absentee ballots are what? They're dropped in the mail. And voters are depending on the U.S. mail to deliver them. Um, Lars, if if you won the Powerball lottery, uh, would you put your ticket in the mail (laughs) or would you personally (laughs) go deliver it? to the lottery uh, office and lottery officials so that you know they're getting it, plus they're acknowledging you're the owner. Well, you ask anybody that and they, uh, about that, and they all say, well, we would trust the mail. Well, that's a good thing because um, the U.S. Postal Service itself, in an Inspector General report that they released just a couple of years ago on the delivery of election-related mail, including mail-in ballots, you know what, they're, their goal for on-time delivery was not 100%. It was 96%. So even even if the post office was doing everything right, still 4% of voters potentially would not have their ballots counted because they didn't get back in time. And the IG report said, well, nationally, they they came pretty close to achieving that 96%, 95 uh, and a half percent, but some of the worst jurisdictions in the country which were included places like Illinois uh, and California, the mail processing facilities there, the average on-time delivery was only 82%.
0: Well, and Hans, let me throw another element in there, and I'm sure it's already occurred to you, but I got an email the other day from a gentleman. I don't know him, but he said, look, I got notified on the 29th of November that my signature didn't match on the ballot. And he said, but but I, I called the elections headquarters and they said, oh, you're past the deadline to fix that. And, and it's where some of the deadlines that have already been set in place where the folks who want people to vote are saying, well, we have to take any ballot that's postmarked that arrives up to a week after the election has con- been concluded, in this case, on the 15th of November. And then they then they process it. And, you know, if they process it over the next 10 days or so and say, hey, Lars signature, my signature what, or my ballot was counted. Uh, but I'm Notify him, send him a letter in the mail. And then he gets it a few days after that. And they say, oh, yeah, uh, we notified your signature didn't match, but it's too late to fix it now. So you're just screwed. I mean, if you want to talk about things that disenfranchise people, how about a system with deadlines? That, that work against the very system that they're using. Saying by the time these voters hear about it, they're not going to be able to fix it. No, so in fact, that you you've just put
7: your finger on a key problem again with these mail-in ballots, which is they have a higher rejection rate than ballots cast in person, and it's obvious because you know in a in a polling place if there's a problem or uh, if you have a question, there's an election official you can talk to. That's not the case with mail-in ballots. Um, The the U.S. Election Assistance Commission actually issued a report not too long ago on the 2020 election, and out of all the mail-in ballots used across the country, according to that report, 560,000 mail-in ballots were rejected by
0: election officials.
7: That is a very large number of, of voters who were potentially disenfranchised from having their ballot counted.
0: Hans, tell people quickly where they can find the website with all those uh, fraud cases.
7: Uh, It's at heritage.org under election integrity, heritage.org slash voter fraud, and they'll find it.
0: Okay, very good. That's Hans von Spakowski, who's a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Hans, it's a pleasure to have you on. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll at Lars Larson show. And if you care to, tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Pleasure to be with you. Always glad to get your phone calls and emails on this Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Glad to take those calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Uh, this segment of the show is always brought to you by Valhalla Tea. It's a perfect gift for the holidays, helping veterans with every single bag sold at ValhallaTea.com. That's valhalla.t.com. Now, our Twitter poll question has to do with Brittany Griner. Does the prisoner swap with Putin put all traveling Americans at greater risk? I would say yes. Uh, you can answer any way you like at Lars Larson Show or at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Let's go to your calls. And if you want to jump in on the Radio Northwest Network, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, naysayers always go to the head of the line. Hey, Derek, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? It's it's Bill. Oh, Bill. Well, that's usually we don't make a mistake that big. Bill, what's on your mind?
8: (laughs) I just wanted to uh, say something about that climate change commercial you got on there all the time.
0: Which, which so one?
8: You know what the biggest climate change is? I've, I've learned this a lot of times. I've been back from studying stuff for cattle, this that, in the Midwest, and it's it's water vapor. Yeah, it is. It's not all all the stuff that they say it is. They're so full of it. I just just gritted my. I've called you years ago on some other things too, but. Uh, I just wanted to say it is full of it, and I'll say it in that manner too.
0: Well, and, and you know what, Derek? Do you do you have any expertise in meteorology? Because I don't, um, but do you?
8: Uh, well, no. It, it can be found out very simply. No, I, I'm you know? not trying. I'm to... not
0: trying to fault what you're saying. I was going to tell you the folks we've had on, like Chuck Weiss um, and other uh, Cliff Mass and other folks who are climate experts. They say the same mm-hmm. thing you do. So it's not like you and I, you know, when we tell people, hey, it's not CO2, it's water vapor, and they go, how do you know that? And I go, well, we've talked to some of the best people in meteorology and in climate science, and they say it's water vapor. Oh, yeah. And
8: I and, don't and have go, anything to back on that way. It's just my person. I've worked outside for 48 years, and I've seen it this way, and I've seen it that way, and I've seen where they haven't gotten any snow it for, well, it was when I was a child and and uh, went up there with my parents, so you couldn't even get up to Timberline Lodge. And now it's uh, kind of heading back that way. Hopefully, with what they've got going on now, And there's just more people.
0: Well, and, and well, so they're, not they're only that, but what they want. <laughs> but but you also take this into account. When I was a little kid, uh, when I was about eight years old, I lived in Klamath Falls, which is in southern Oregon. That place used to get buried in snow every you know every winter, <laughs> and and you'd so say, and well. That, and, and and then you you go there uh, and for a number of years uh, I'd say to people you got a lot of snow and they say oh we haven't had snow in a long time and and what you've identified is that the climate has both big cycles you know that that change every twenty five or thirty years and and then they have smaller cycles and it may go you know El Nino for a while and then La Nina for a while and and you have to accept that all of, it's as though people think. If weather is weather is this way this winter, it'll always be that way. And the changes though, happen over such a long period. Let's say it's a 35 year cycle. So when you were five years old, it was this way and then it starts going the other way for 35 years. So when you're, you' know, when it comes back around uh, 35 years from now, you're now 40 uh, and you say, well no wow, that's really different. Well, no, it wasn't. It's, it's gone through a cycle from high to low, hot to cold, warm to wet or dry to wet, uh, warm to cold. And, and then it goes back. And those cycles can be tens of years. They can be hundreds of years. And, and there are all these folks who seem to think, no, whatever the weather is now, it's always going to be that way at this time of the year. And then when they see a change, they say, oh, my goodness, the climate is changing it goes in cycles it go, it go, it comes and it goes and there were t- there was a time i don't know the numbers on this where co2 what there was a huge amount of co2 on earth and you say well the earth must have been dead there and you know no they had giant ferns and dinosaurs and everything else and and now we don't have as much and now we have some more and i also remember even within our lifetimes. There were people in the 70s and early 80s who said, well, as soon as we get to 400 parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere, it's all over. We're all dead. You know, like like AOC saying, we're all dead in 12 years. And I think that was about uh, four years ago. So, you know, I guess we're all dead in eight years. And you say, no, Mm -hmm. no, we got past 400 parts per million and the world, you know, the sky didn't fall and and things didn't go to pieces, you know. But but what we should do is maintain the greatest ability to respond to those changes. So if we say if it's going to get hotter, we have to figure out ways for human beings to be comfortable and live and grow food and all that. And, and if it's going to get colder, we have to have that. The problem is that a lot of the policies that are being pushed on us by Biden and others and, and all the greenies and the tree huggers are ones that assume it's going to get hotter. And they say, so we won't need to generate energy the way we have before. And you say, yeah, Yeah, we might. And whether it gets hotter or colder, you need to have energy to deal with the consequences of both hot and cold. And there was a guy, Bjorn Lomberg, who's written some great books on this. He calls himself Mm -hmm. the skeptical environmentalist. And he wrote a book called, uh, what was it called? Chill Out. I think it was called Chill Out. In any case, he started off by saying, which has killed more and does kill more today? Overly hot conditions or overly cold? And the answer is cold tends to kill human beings a whole lot more than hot does. So hot, you can deal with. Cold, you're going to have to have a way to counteract that or you're going to end up a popsicle. And you've got the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers?
1: Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup.
0: So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There
1: are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio.
2: Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to IRAadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at IRAadvantage.com.